You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Not only does this passage teach us like who we are, but who God is and what he's given to us. Because he's not a God who leaves us alone in our time of need, um, but a God who gives us great resource. Colossians 3 Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against you, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. This is actually the passage that we had chosen weeks ago as we are in this November series reflecting on reasons to be thankful. It's hard to think like that today. And yet our thanks is not determined upon our circumstances or what the world gives to us, but because of what God has given to us even in our greatest times of need. And there is this motto in the world that dominates the world. And here's the motto. You get out what you put in. You've heard that before. This motto puts our efforts, our character, our record at the center of our destiny. That your life will be determined by what you do, what you put into it, the effort that you put into it, your record and your character. If you want a good life, then do good things. And now not to completely discredit this motto, it, it works out in a lot of areas, right? Your job, if you, want, if you want more money and a larger paycheck, you work more hours, you want to get that promotion, you work for that promotion. If you want to be healthy, then typically you, you give yourself to healthy practices and you do get out what you put in. This motto works only, though, for, for merit-based systems. And there's a lot of merit-based systems in the world. The problem is when we start treating our relationship with God according to a merit-based system rather than a promise-based system. What's a promise-based system? It's like a family inheritance that comes our way simply just by being in the family. You don't have to do anything Something is coming your way to make you rich. And if we confuse the two, the results are going to be devastating. What happens when we treat our work like a promise-based system? Well, we feel entitled. We feel like we should get the same amount of pay for people doing more work. We feel we deserve a promotion when we don't excel in our work or we're falling behind. We feel, I deserve to get this because I'm here. Well, what happens when we treat our relationship with God, a promise-based system, with like a merit-based system? We always doubt his love. 
We feel insecure when we fail. We feel self-righteous when we succeed. When bad things happen, we think it's because we've lost his love and he's punishing us. When good things happen, we think it's because he's happy with us and he's giving us good things now. We, we tirelessly work at pleasing God, wondering if his favor will ever come to us. When we treat our relationship with God like a merit-based system, we will never, ever really truly know if we are ever really accepted. There will always be that lingering doubt. But am I good enough? Have I done enough to receive God's love, to be counted among his beloved Our passage today gives us really good news. The good news hinges not on us working for it, but hinges upon the gracious love of God. God calls his people in this passage holy and beloved, set apart and loved, chosen out of the world of darkness and brought into his light and given his love that never ends. Do you know what it means to be beloved? You're pretty special if someone calls you beloved. To be beloved is to be the object of another person's directional love and affection. Before you ever did anything at all, anything good or anything bad, you were the object of God's directional love and affection. Directional love. It's not that God's love is sent out into the universe floating around in this invisible, delightful power, and we just need to find it, grab it, hold on to it, and maybe just get caught up into the mist of his love that he just sends out into the universe. His love is directional. It's pointed. It is aimed like an arrow that comes out of a bow at its target, and God hits the bullseye. It means he looks at us, and he chooses us, and then he sends his directional love affection right into our hearts. And with this love comes many things, lots of gifts. Our passage tells us a bunch of them. I want to highlight three, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the name of Christ. All of these that are ours because we are called the beloved of Christ. These three things are things that we don't work for, but they are things that can be sensed, enjoyed with growing capacity as we place our trust and confidence in God, as he he pours these into our hearts in increasing measure. Let's look at them first. Let's look at, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, as our passage says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The peace of Christ means there is a peace that's only produced by Christ. There's a peace the world gives. There's a peace that comes uh, based on our merit, based on our achievement, based on our accomplishments, and it, it comes and goes. And then there's a peace that Jesus gives. It is produced by him and given to him. It is founded within him. He owns it and he gives it to us. And it's unlike any peace that the world can offer. And this peace, it breaks into our hearts. It penetrates our hearts deep into our hearts at the deepest level. And it doesn't just make us happy. It it makes us a new creation. It changes us from the innermost and to the uttermost. The peace of Christ does not just make us happy, but it's this peace 
that is the dramatic indwelling of the very presence of Christ in our hearts. In the innermost part of the life of a believer. And in our life, it, it is way too easy to become filled with tension and anxiety and fear and doubt, confusion. Frustrations fester throughout the day. Circumstances derail our faith and fill us with worry all the time. We can be weighed down in such a way that we are characterized by anything but peaceful. And this is not a command to put on the to, to let the peace of Christ rule on, in your hearts. This is not a command to be happy or to put on a smile, but it is an invitation to place our confidence in the peace that we have with a God whose directional love and affection is pointed right at us. To let the peace of Christ is to place our confidence in this reality, that his love is just not this this entity out in the universe that we hope we can get, but it is a directional love that is pointed right at us and invades our hearts. A foundational aspect of our salvation. The passage says, to which you were indeed called. It's, peace is not a cause of salvation. We are not peaceful and then are saved, but we are saved. It's a symptom of salvation. We are loved and accepted. We are redeemed and filled with the love of God and the fruit of which is peace, the peace of Christ. When we trust in the Lord and place our confidence not in our merit, not in our attempts at righteousness, but in his directional love and affection, peace rules in our hearts. The fruit will be gratitude, thanksgiving, as our passage says. How do we cultivate this kind of peace? It's like a garden. It's there, it invades us, and yet, we know that it, 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 our sense of it can either feel overwhelming or depleted. How do we cultivate it? Do you see how, this, how passive this language is? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's not active. It's not, it's not something you work to do. It's not, it's not a command of saying, like, make the peace come, uh, come into your heart. It says, let it happen. It's passive. It's something that you let happen to you. It comes from the outside into our hearts. We can't muster it up within ourselves. We do not find peace by following certain rules, but by placing our confidence in the ruler of peace. Peace is cultivated by receiving. Peace is cultivated by surrendering. It's cultivated by emptying our hands of the things that we're trusting in that cannot solve our deepest problems and opening up our hands to receive only what God can give to us, allowing our hearts to be guarded by the comfort and assurance that God gives his son to us through faith in Jesus. This peace is the passive goodness of God coming into our life and we are recipients of it, letting it come to us, opening up our hearts to it, being closed off to, to the work that God wants to do in our deepest parts of our hearts will keep this peace from, from growing and being cultivated. So it's a way of saying, just, God, I invite you in. I invite you into this space that I'm where I'm hurting, where I'm feeling pain. I'm inviting you into my confusion, my anger, my frustration, my exhaustion. I'm inviting you in. 
And likewise, a passive language we see in the next one, looking at the next is the, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here's another very strongly passive language to the work of God in our lives. Imagine you're looking for a roommate. You have a, a room to rent at your house. You have a spare bedroom or maybe your Airbnb being a, a property and you want to compare two different ways of finding a, a roommate or a tenant for this place. And the first way is to put out ads and you, you, you take out ads, you create Facebook ads and Instagram sponsored ads. You advertise every way. You put flyers on cars in the supermarket parking lot. You rent billboards and wrap buses in the city just trying to get people to rent from you. And it's a lot of work and a lot of money and you get no responses. Another way to find tenant is just you hear a knock at the door and you open the door and they move in. There's your new tenant. You see, these are the different ways that he's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is saying you don't have to go out and, and, and look for this good news to, to change. You don't have to go out and fight for it. You don't have to go work for it. You don't have to become somebody and tidy up your life in order for the word of God to take hold of your life. Simply saying, when you hear that knock, open the door. Let him come in to you. To say that the word of Christ is to say it's the gospel message of Jesus, which takes up residence in our hearts and transforms us from the inside out. When the word of Christ is used frequently in scripture, it's, it's not talking about a set of rules or a checklist to follow or specific things that Jesus said. It, it's teaching us not a list of certain commands. It's referring to a summary of God's rescuing work in our life through Jesus which is the gospel. It is the good news of salvation. It's the good news of forgiveness. It's the good news of our adoption into the family of God from orphan to child. The good news that says we are far worse than we ever feared, but because of Jesus, we are far more loved than we ever dreamed. That's the word of Christ. And we're to think about this message every day. We are to sing about this message every day when we gather. We are to teach this story to one another. These words ought to be on our lips when we comfort those who are hurting. We're to use this message that none of us deserve God's love. We have it because of Jesus in a boundless measure. Every time we sin, every time we are wrong, every time tragedy hits, every time we feel discouraged, hopeless, grieving, we are to open the door to the transforming grace of the gospel and let it saturate our hearts. We listen to it in podcasts. We read it in scripture. We talk about it with friends. We sing about it when we gather. Let it take residence in your heart, dwell in your heart, so much so that it's just flooding your life with this, these messages of the truth of the gospel. And when that happens, you will feel this indwelling peace and presence of God. And finally, we can be thankful for we have the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, whenever you hear the word whatever, in this passage it says, whatever you do, 
in word or do you do everything in the name of the Lord? Whenever you hear the word whatever, it's usually meant in like a dismissive way, right? What do you want for lunch? Whatever. Where do you want? Whatever. It's a dismissive word. It's, it's, it's something just, I'm not going to think too much about it. But here, it is everything but dismissive. It, it, it is not dismissive. It is exhaustive, compelling. And I want you to make, I want to make the case that this is a word, the word whatever, as it's used here, is a word that legalists and religious people and merit-based people hate. Because legalists want to know, not whatever, I want to know specifically what I need to do. I want a checklist for how I will know that I'm loved by God. I want to know the right behavior and the right works. I want to know how to behave in a certain way. I want to know the right words to say and the words to avoid so that by doing those things, I can please God with my righteousness and measure, measure my acceptance with him based upon the life that I've lived. But whatever here is a life ruled not by, lo- not by rules, and, but a, a life ruled by grace. There's no checklists with the mindset of grace. Instead of rules and requirements to meet, we have a person, the name of Christ. We have a person. We have Jesus at the center, and there, Jesus has every, he's done everything that we have needed to do. He has checked every box and every command that we failed to do so that we can now live with a different motivation, not living motivated to earn his acceptance, but now living motivated because we have his acceptance and living now our lives based upon everything we've been given in Jesus. And let me change the tone and you'll see it. Whatever you do, whether it's word or deed, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus and be thankful. Whatever you do, whatever it is, whether it's word or deed or talking or acting, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus and be thankful that you get to do it in the name of Jesus. Not in your name, not in somebody else's name, not in the name of your record or character or achievements, whatever it is. You get to now live in the name of Jesus. It's a little different, isn't it? You have the name of Jesus, you have the name of Christ. And name here comes with two things it means two things, it means presence and power. When you do something in the name of somebody, you do it with presence and power, like a delegate from a country, like a representative. When I come in the name of so-and-so, I'm coming with their presence and I'm coming with their power, their authority and their representation. Jesus, this is what it means. Whatever you do, you go out and you, you're living with Jesus is with you and his power is enabling you. And not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, but because you are the object of his directional love and affection, and he'll never take it from you. Jesus is with you, and Jesus fights for you. The name of Christ is a gift of his directional love and affection. We never go anywhere, and we never encounter any challenge apart from the presence and power of Jesus. 
Knowing that, how will that affect the way you speak and how you live? Be one of delight. It'll likely be one of gratitude and thanksgiving, just as our passage says. It'll be one of maybe deeper thought. We'll be thinking more clearly about what we do, but now not motivated to earn his love, but because we have it, because we get to live in this freedom, because we get to have his presence and power. This can either be to having his presence, I mean, having the very presence and power of God in your life can be one of two things. It can be intimidating or very comforting. Intimidating only if the, his love is contingent upon your character. And if you don't know Jesus, if you have never trusted in him, placed your trust and confidence in his redeeming, loving work on the cross for you, then we have actually nothing to be but intimidated when God says, I'm here and I'm strong. We should be afraid. But when we have Christ, his presence and power is comforting. His presence and power is peace, comforting to know that we are never alone, we are never without hope, and that makes us thankful. Friends, when it comes to the directional love of God and affection for you, you do not get what you put into it. You get what he puts into it. And he kept nothing for himself, but gave himself for you. Putting everything into it, his very son, to die for you. He holds absolutely nothing back. And if God did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.